Hello and welcome to Blaze Mahmood Podcast. And this show is for visionary and entrepreneur learners who are thirsty for actionable steps and advice to make the next big thing. On the show, we'll be discussing everything related to business and entrepreneurship to help you do what you want to do and get you where you want to be in the shortest possible time. I'm Mahmood, the host of the show. I'm a curious person just like you and we'll be learning along with you from the great individual who made it and made it big. Now I'll be sharing everything I already know and the new things I'll be running with you all. So without wasting any more time, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the show and our today's guest is Rodney Dixon and he's a creator of underground album Manta Master 7 and the manuscript The Cosmic Build Billionaire Club. And his creative works is well known among celebrities and royalty. And he's followed by thousands of people worldwide on social media for his insightful posts regarding the might of topics, such as business, social justice, politics, and religion. So how do you feeling being on the show? I'm feeling good. Thank you for having me on your show. And I uh, look forward to uh, the discussion. Yeah, interesting. So today, why we want to discuss about like the in depth about niche and what it is and how can people actually select it. So the first question I want to ask you is like, what is niche and why should if someone should even consider having a niche? So I'm, I'm very excited. The to definition have concept of a niche is like a penetration inside of a, a crevice or something to that nature. In business. Is sort of the same thing in business. You figure out what your unique skill is that you have like natural talent and that becomes your niche. So let's say you are looking to you, you, you have a niche for for drawing an artist as a kid. And so you go get a job at Apple or Google as a programmer but you want to not be just a regular programmer like quote unquote everybody else. So you add that niche to your profile, which is the artistry that you're capable of doing, the talent that you have, and then you push forward using that unique talent to your benefit to separate you from every everyone else. So yeah, you're a programmer, but your niche would have been art art talent, skills, art skills. So a niche is usually that thing that makes you uniquely you in any endeavor. That's your niche. Okay. So does, doesn't it actually limit someone's scope of, of doing work? Doing Of doing work? Yeah. Let's say you, you, you give the example of working at Apple or Microsoft as a programmer. And he was, uh, also mentioned that his extra niche or like extra skill would be, let's say, more his more inclined in art side. Yes. Okay. So doesn't having that art skill limit his capabilities to actually try other sectors? No, it expands it because you got to figure. Usually, a niche is going to fit into any system. So you, you, for example, let's use the art skills again. You know, most businesses have some form of an art concept to it or that's needed. So anytime you have a unique skill, it's going to be in addition to anything else that you specifically learn because academia, right, education teaches a lot of people pretty much the same thing, then a niche is going to add to anything else that you learn. If you don't learn anything else and you only have that quote unquote niche talent, it could limit you. But a niche in addition to anything else that you learn can only enhance your abilities and your opportunities. That's an interesting side to see. So I've never considered needs to actually expand someone's capabilities. That's that really interesting. 
so one the other question that came up with it is, and I also ask this on every episode is, what is the definition of education and learning to you? Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. So education to me means a whole lot. Academia is a whole different ball game. So usually when it relates to academia, it's what's being taught across the board to a bunch of people. But if you look at how people used to learn before universities became a real big thing, which is fairly new in the scope of the, you know, the, the history of the world. But when you look at how people used to learn, it was more of apprenticeship. So it'd be like one-offs, like one person, like you knew families who had a niche talent and it passed down from generation to generation. And so this family would be known for one thing. This other family would be known for another thing. And so that's when barter and trade was so important back a long time ago. So education is just learning, but academia is learning a systematic approach to a lot of people learning the basic fundamentals or foundations. And so if you go to like a university, you will usually start off year one taking classes and you'll see the titles of them. It'll be the principles of, right? The principles of accounting, the principles of real estate, the principles of sociology. And so that's all the foundation. So if they have 2,000 students, 4,000 students learning those principles, they're all being taught the same foundation. So that's academia, whereas education, there could be somebody who's a master at that, learned it over the years, never went to a university, and they can start to tell you these 10 things right here, basically unnecessary. These 10 things over here, this is what makes you a master. That's different. So education is learning, period. But academia takes a bigger scope and apprenticeship hits directly to the point of what you need to be to succeed and become a master at something. Interesting. So what is the difference between apprenticeship and internship? Well, internship is the basic concept. Basic concept of internship is just learning exactly what someone else is already doing. And so they may have acquired that knowledge or skill based on academia, or they may have learned it from someone who mastered it. So internship really doesn't differentiate between the two. You're just basically learning from whoever's in front of you or whoever's above you. And that's pretty much it. Unfortunately, even through academia, most people learn through the concept of internship. So most people don't question much, right? And let's say, for example, I've been in classes where we've been trained and I come out of that class and I got a piece of paper split in the middle and I have pros on one side and cons on another side. So someone else is teaching it and I'm listening for what I want to extract from it and what I want to throw away from it of what I'm hearing based on my own set of skills and abilities and what I've already mastered and what I can add to that to add and master more. Whereas internship is not really giving you that opportunity to add and subtract for the most part. Now, a real good intern who's just learning the trade or whatever the skill is would do a pro and con approach, right? That's called critical analysis. So in college, they will teach you how to do critical analysis. They will talk to you about how to do critical analysis. But in the work world, especially like in corporate America, a lot of that's going to be taken from you. 
and they're going to do what we call the point and shoot approach, which is more internship. That's like, hey, do this exactly like I'm showing you and you just do exactly that. Don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away from it and who you are personally, whatever your particular style is, internship will start to actually take away your style. So if you allow it, it'll even tell you how to how to speak, how to approach, how to think. That's usually what internship would do. So, internship limits our capabilities. That means this. So, it, it allows us to work in the in the physical environment, but does not actually limit our capabilities or changes how, who we are. And it, and in apprenticeship, actually, it lets actually gives us freedom to explore other areas. None of it in and of itself. So, we're just talking about really definitions and concepts. At the end of the day, it's going to depend on who that human being is that you're dealing with, right? Whether they're going to allow you to be uniquely you or not allow you to be uniquely you. And then it comes down to you, the individual who's going to allow someone else to not let you be uniquely you, right? They're going to limit you and you can allow that, which most people do because that's the safe way to go about it, right? I wanna go get a job at X Corporation. X Corporation gives me a playbook. They say, this is how we do it here. Do not deviate from this. This is a try and true method. Well, most, folk, most people are going to go, um, I'm not going to deviate from it. I'm going to do exactly what they said, because why? I don't wanna be fired. Yeah, interesting. Like I, I would agree with it because people actually don't, what do you call it, have the courage to say, no, it, this is not what I'm trying to do or so. Right, to be able to make it uniquely you. So, you, you know, I like it the way I deal with people. If I'm training them, if I'm coaching them, uh, if they're working for me is I just need the results. So I'm looking for what you have the capabilities to do. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And then where you're weak, I'm trying to add my input to see if it can make you better. But I'm not, tr I'm not trying to change who you are. I'm just trying to figure out what it is that you do and who you are. But, you know, most people don't do that at work. Uh, that takes a lot of work. That takes a lot of work as someone who's a coach or someone who's a manager or someone who's a director or whatever. If, if you're trying to, if you, the more people you're dealing with, the more people that are under you, the less you're willing to put that type of time in to deal with a bunch of unique people. And so the more people they are, the more you're looking for some type of standardized program to get everybody to play on that playbook. And so if you're a unique person, right, which everyone is, then you're going to basically put that to the side to fit within this space. So then for you to really get your niche, you may have to find another place to go to. And this is just a stepping stone. Or you're going to have to do some really digging in on your own to acquire this necessary knowledge and, and, and master it so that you can just do it, you know, without thinking and make it uniquely you. And then you got to have the courage to try it. Right. And see what the results are. Now, if it works, then you're still dealing with the other human on the other side. Let's say you tried it. It was uniquely you. And it worked. Well, if you're dealing with the type of person who says, I don't care if it worked, you didn't do it like I told you, you got to go. <laughs> right. And then you have other people like if you if you're dealing with me, if you're working for me, I'm like. That was incredible. Show me what you did so I can learn from it. <laughs> 
right? So you don't know who you're dealing with. It, it just depends on who you're dealing with. So I agree with it. And most of the school systems are are all about follow the way how we show it. Or you're wrong. Or if you're wrong, that's it. And that's the biggest issue. Because let's say there are thousands of ways to solve the exact same problem. But the teacher or let's say the professor professor would say professor. Yeah, would say that this is not the way I showed it, so you have to do it this way. That's my way of doing it. So that's the way. And that's right. Like, and, and, yeah, go well, ahead. To, and not always the fault of the professor because the professor learned it a certain way. So let's say, let's say it's a long form problem, just for argument's sake, right? Let's say it's a long form problem. And he sees you have the answer correctly, but he doesn't know how to judge. He doesn't know how to gauge how you got there because it's done in a way that he hasn't learned himself or she hasn't learned herself. How do they make a determining factor on whether or not you did it the correct way to get to the answer or you somehow found the answer, but your whole system on how you came up with that answer is wrong. They don't know. So how do they judge it? So that's when you got to be able to say, all right, well, Professor X wants it this way. So I'm going to do it the way Professor X says. But then I know the way I did it is actually a better way, a more efficient way, a faster way or whatever it is. So I'm not going to throw away the way I did it. Now I'm going to be able to do two things. Therein lies that niche concept, right? Because you have a unique way to get to that answer. So then what you should be doing in your life is looking for where that unique way, that niche, has value, who's going to value it. And so you should always be looking for that. Most people will take that uniqueness, throw it away, stay safe in one place, doing the same thing over and over, and just calling it a day, never using this gift that they had. So where that niche might be at this level right now, if you would have continued to search for where it's going to have a life, that niche could have grew, 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 grew. And so you could end up at this position rather than this position, but you stop searching for where it actually would fit in. I agree with it. So one thing you said though, that people think it is a safe way and, just, and think that, putting down their niche or, or specialty is safe. But if we think about the economic crashes, let's say like in the past or 2008 or the recent that's happening right now, in this situation, people who had abilities survived and were, were in more demand compared to the people who, were, who chose the safer path because everyone was doing that, right? Well, that's you're, you said it perfectly. Um, we call those, you know, now we call those people with sort of like this niche capability or, or niche understanding or niche way of doing things. We call them innovators. Right. And so this innovator starts a brand new company. This company becomes a million dollar company, multi-million dollar company, billion dollar company. Right. But then it's funny because a lot of people who are niche people, they'll turn around and make sure they want everything standardized and everybody thinking the same way. They don't want niche people around them <laughs> or working for them. No, I, I think this trend is actually changing right now. In the past, this actually ha always happened. But now, to survive in the market, you need people who are innovators in your company. That's right. 
that's a necessary to survive for these companies. So in Google, I think around 25% of the time, like they allow 25% of their employees allow time to like experiment on their own projects. So like if you get this time to, I, we will pay you for it, working on your own, own project. And if you, if you sell to us, or like, I don't know what the agreement is, but they, they allow them to work on it and they have to work on it, that's the thing. So that, that's a phenomenal system, right? That's phenomenal because let, that's when you're very secure in who you are, right? To allow other people to innovate. And then, especially if you can say, okay, I'm not only going to give you the time to innovate, I'm going to pay you to innovate. That's part of the program is you being able to innovate. And if you come up with something that's viable, we'll actually give you the opportunity and we'll back it, right? You can actually end up contracting with us so you can go from employee to, to partner or whatever. That's a phenomenal program. Now, that's the way actually countries should be running, right? And, and some countries are running like that, but that's really the process. The whole game is to allow innovation to exist because that's the only way you grow. And if a company like Google, I don't, you know, I know a lot of people that work at Google, but I don't have too many conversations with them about how Google runs on the inside. Um, but if Google's running that way, well, no wonder they, they are where they are. <laughs> Absolutely. And in, in terms of country, like the, the first country that came to my mind, which works in the same way, is Israel. Israel literally gives you, I don't know, I don't know if the exact amount, but all the people who want to who want to do that business, they're gonna the government is going to pay them start a business. If that fails, we're not gonna take the money back. But you have to try again and again. If you fail, and we're gonna pay you again. Try another idea. If you again fail, I will pay you another time. Then again and again. And that's why Israel actually became a very powerful country and also a center of business for, for a, a lot of businesses. And they're actually partnering with a, a, lot, of, a lot of companies like Google, and I'm not sure about Google, but Microsoft and large companies. So that's a really good way. And innovation is, in today's world, innovation is everything. If, you, if you're not innovating, then you're dead. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So what's the so what's the what's the hindrance to innovation? What's the hindrance to allowing a niche people to, you know, grow within a quote unquote organization? Well, it's got to be the fear. Right. Or the, the stubbornness. You know, the, 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 I call it the micromanaging of not only the product being done or the, you know, the micromanaging of the brain of a person's mind, right? When you start, you start hearing things like I've been in those situations, right? I've been in so, some of those types of companies where the way you speak, the way you think, someone's actually, trying to manage that <laughs> like whoa like man this is like way out of the way out of bounds right i was like hey the way you were talking right there like okay so you see my results right here no that doesn't matter the way you said what you just said is like oh my god this this is like beyond this i don't i can't even describe it as like you know uh, a prehistoric <laughs> almost in in thinking Absolutely. I think the reason is the, the fear or everything is all the, everything is all about the preconceived notion of safety. Like that fear comes with the safety. Like is the result of the fear of losing safety. So there's there the combined thing. So if, if you lose the safety, that's the fear. And 
and the same thing basically. Yeah, the fear of losing the safety net, and also that people will go away. That let, let's say in a company, let's say in a mid-sized company, if you have great people working for you and you let them experiment, they might go away. So that's also a big fear because we need great people to work for us. But and think about I mean, so why why would they go away? That that's basically telling all within itself, right? You fearing they're going they're going away. You must not be presenting the type of environment that would make them want to stay. Like what you just said with Google, if if a company is not only providing the ability and the freedom to innovate, but they're also providing the way to bring that innovation to market. And so that they're supporting that innovation with growth opportunities and expansion, the company only gets stronger. So why do you need to go on your own if the opportunity is being presented here? Doesn't make sense. Yeah. So that word safety ends up being basically uh, simultaneously a buzzword for control. You know, I need to control it for safety, like the word quality control, right? <laughs> I need to control it for safety because why? Because we're, it, we're used to this particular type of revenue or whatever, and an innovative concept could risk that. Even though the person that built the business could be someone who they risked everything to make it happen, right? And so I, you don't need to risk everything, but you, you, trust, you trust yourself. You don't really trust you, right? I don't trust you, but I trust me. But I don't trust you because I know what I'm doing. You might not know what you're doing, especially if you're willing to do it differently than what I told you how to do. Well, we're back to the beginning of the podcast now, <laughs> right? <laughs> Whether or not, you know, what's an apprentice versus, you know, it, it's just kind of, you know, like, yeah. like I said, it depends on who you're dealing with. True, absolutely true. Now, I want to take a jump, not a jump basically, but I want to talk more about the niche marketing. So let's say someone has a niche quality, or niche product, let's say, and how can they actually go about marketing it in a month or online or offline? So how can they do it? So one of the things I've always said about innovative marketing is that innovators will often use traditional marketing techniques which kind of throws away the whole innovation concept, right? So, um, and when I say techniques, not necessarily the mediums, right? The internet is the internet. You know, social media is social media. Um, uh, 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 print and advertisement is print and advertisement. So those mediums are whatever they are. But in terms of how you go about marketing, if you have a unique niche, then you should have a unique marketing approach, right? Because everything is going to, a, a unique niche is basically you. So at the end of the day, I call it like personal branding, right? So you should be branding you, right? So like this superhero here, right? Like that, that's mine. I own that mark, right? I own that character. So it's, but that character is uniquely me. Right now, you might be able to look at it, read about it or whatever, and see he's got a million different components and you can find a million different angles to what makes him him because it's part of, quote unquote, life. Right. I'm part of, quote unquote, life. So we're all interconnected in some way. So you're going to find similarities to something else somewhere. Nothing is just completely out of nowhere. But. Is it uniquely you. And so if it is, then you should be trying to figure out that unique marketing angle. 
how am I going to market me? I can't market me like AM markets him because AM and, and myself are two different things, even though AM is the initials of Atoma Merck. <laughs> right? <laughs> but we're two different with two different things. So I gotta find that unique marketing niche to uh, that unique narrative about what I have and, and who I am. And that has to become what you're marketing. What's your narrative? I agree. I agree with that. So one question that actually one of our listeners asked is what is the definition of like the difference between marketing and advertising is? So this question is by Ivan Takeoff, a uh, friend of mine, or old friend of mine. So what's the difference between it? Well, so the concept of marketing is bringing something to the marketplace, right? And the marketplace being the buyers, consumers, you know, who's receiving what it is that you're offering, that would be your marketplace. So marketing would be that which includes advertisement, right? Because it's bringing it to whatever you're using to let the market know that you exist. So, you know, you hear people say, oh, that person was a walking billboard. So a billboard would be those things that go up you know, on a freeway or whatever, that billboard. And you say, oh, a, a walking billboard. Well, this shirt right here would be a walking billboard. So marketing is how people are going to basically use their senses to know that you're making some type of offer. So marketing and advertisement is connected. Then there's marketing plans and advertising plans. So you can say, okay, the advertisement part would be a commercial. Like let's say you're watching television, a television commercial comes on and now you, that commercial in the middle of that TV program is advertisement. But the marketing department put that together based on what they believed would get the people to accept the advertisement to move them to take the offer, which is the product of the service that you're offering, right? So marketing is like the mental concept of putting it all together. And then the advertisement would be the end product that you use to get the people's attention to accept your offering. Okay, interesting. Interesting. I, I, I also even think about marketing and advertising in this way in the past. So this is also informative, very informative for me. Yes. Yeah. Now, I'm gonna go to like, what niche you selected? So I'm, I wanna talk about you more. So tell us about what niche you selected and why? Hey, say, ask me that again. So what, what niche you selected and why did you select it? Oh, wow. So I often think about that, right? Because if you have a lot of talents, right? So I was a, I was a basketball player. I played football. I played baseball. I played soccer, I coached soccer, I coached basketball, I've coached football. So all that would be sports. I wrote music. I wrote music with a guy who was one of the best there ever was to do it, right? So I wrote music. I created a, a, a music disc. I wrote a book, right? So it's like, okay, that's a lot of stuff. I, I've traveled the middle to the Middle East. I've done business deals and feasibility studies with the Middle East, uh, with royalty, et cetera. Okay, so what in the heck is the niche then? If you've done all this stuff, how do you kind of sum it up, right? Into a specific thing. 
because you can have many talents, right? Because that's all those, those things are what, what you would call talents. So you, got, you have many talents, but what is it that brings it all together? It's all being done by the same person. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's all being done by the same person. So that's why I said earlier, your niche has to be uniquely you. So at the end of the day, personal branding is everything. So you can come into an organization and they can be going, okay, what's this person's fit? What's this person's niche, right? Well, what is it about all those different things that now make me uniquely me that if you had to put your finger on it, your stamp on it, what is it? I figure it out, right? I figure it out. I figure out what's needed to accomplish X. So in basketball, if they said, oh, his talent was his ability to run down the court, jump high, slam dunk, and shoot baskets. No, that wasn't it. Because if that was it, I wouldn't be able to play football. Oh, well, he did football, so he ran, he threw, he blocked, he kicked. Well, if that was the case, I wouldn't be able to play baseball. Oh, well, in baseball, he can hit, he can run, he can catch. If that was the case, I wouldn't be able to play soccer. All right, so his, his niche is sports. That was the case. I wouldn't have been able to write music with one of the best guys to ever do it. Oh, shoot. Okay. So sports and entertainment. That's it. Sports and entertainment. That's his niche. Then why was I able to do business with high level people over in the Middle East? You get it? My niche is being able to figure things out and get results. That's the niche. So whenever I've gone to a job for a job interview or whatever the case may be, and I'm sitting across the table and you'll usually get this type of question in the interview and they'll say, okay, why should we hire you? And I'll go, because there's nothing that you do that I can't figure out a way to make it work and get the results that you desire, if not greater. So I sell me. That's the personal brand. And then they look on my resume, they look at my bio and they go, well, you kind of did do this, 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 and this. So I guess you probably can figure out how to make it happen, how to bring it to fruition and figure out what's needed to get it there. Cause that's what the case is. So if you go back to what I'm saying, okay, the basketball, I had to figure out still how to beat that defense to get those baskets and how to stop that other team and what they were trying to do. I had to figure it out. And baseball had to figure out how to see that curveball coming out of the hand of the pitcher and see the spin soon as it left his fingers before that 95 mile fastball or 90 mile curveball hit the plate. I had to see it and figure it out before he got there. In football, I had to figure out that this big guy on the left side that was knocking down my blind man and he's rushing me like crazy that they're weak on the other side. So I'm going to run all these plays on the other side. It's like each of those situations, I had to figure out how to accomplish X with Y obstacles. And so when I got into the solar business, it was the same thing. How do I figure out what the obstacles are, where the obstacles are in the mind of people and how to overcome those obstacles with the correct analysis necessary to get the movement that we need, which is to get the customer to accept the product offering that we were doing. Each step of the way, it had to be the ability to figure it out. Okay, that's a, like a mic drop thing. <laughs> that's, a, that's a mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So one big clarification for the people who are listening outside of US or Canada. So football, he means by American football. Uh, it, has, 
Yes. So in my country, in Bangladesh, it's called rugby. And in outside, like in Europe, it's, I don't know what it's called. I think it's, it's called rugby as well there. So and many people might think like, big guys in football with a hand, what, what are you going to throw with a hand in football? So yeah. <laughs> yes. Right, so right. Absolutely. So you, you really said an interesting point that every single thing, thing that Italy did has come down to one single thing. And that single specific ability on niche is the ability to figure things out no matter what the situation is, irrespective of the situation. That's really good. So there is one that, like in the description of your book, there's a thing called, there, there's one line which is like, um, I forgotten, I don't forgot, didn't forgot basically. So you, in a book, that character has a dream. So what dream is it? So it says, what you're saying where it says a solar dream. So um, um, it's because back in like 1989, when I was uh, traveling and going to Minneapolis, Minnesota, which was the huge music scene at the time, um, the themes that everybody was singing about were themes that I were I was not interested in. So I started writing about energy because one of the things I saw in sports and entertainment is that a lot of people who endeavor it, they don't really transition very well into other things after the fact if they don't really make it. So they, you know, it's like the starving artist is, is, is get rich or die trying or whatever the case may be. And, and but then, you know, if you live your whole life in, in quote unquote, the entertainment world, then oftentimes you lose touch with just reality. And a lot of people that I knew that were in it deep were in it, they were inside too deep. And even though they were rich and famous, they wished they could have lived a normal life and a lot of them regretted it. And so for me, I'm watching people older than me get involved in it. And I'm like, no, that's not necessarily what I want. So I started writing about stuff that was outside of what everybody else was talking about. And solar was my theme. I'm a Christian. So I'm into God, et cetera. And so stuff that they were singing about, I'm going, well, you know what? I'm not going to make that my legacy where that's what I'm known for. That, that's just not a good, that's just not a good deal. So I went and started talking about energy and solar. I saw there was a need. I saw early on that um, uh, uh, fossil fuel power plants were creating basically acid rain and clouds and stuff like that. I told my friends back in 1984 that cars could run on water, which is hydrogen and, and electricity. We didn't necessarily need at that type of level of gas that we have. I was saying that way back then. Friends of mine was going, what in the world is he talking about, right? Uh, the meter on the side of a house. I used to talk to my friends all the time. We would sit up two or three o'clock in the morning at little Denny's restaurants. And we'd be talking about different types of endeavors we wanted to get into. And I would tell them, I'm trying to figure out how to beat the meter spinning on the side of a house. They're like, what the meter on the side of a house? And I go, yeah, you know, that energy meter, when you go to sleep, that energy meter is still spinning. So that means that you're, you're, it's charging you to sleep. So I was never a guy who liked to sleep a lot of hours because it cost me to sleep. So as a result, right, I was always trying to figure out, I got to beat that meter. I got to beat that meter. So I started writing about all this stuff. And that's where that manuscript, The Cosmic Billionaires Club, comes in. I wrote that in 1990. And it was about the future of energy, solar industry, et cetera, right? And I talked about all this different solar stuff in one particular chapter called The Business. And it was a bunch of poems written in cryptic language. But this one chapter called The, the Business talked about solar manufacturing, solar distribution, the shining the glass, et cetera. And then I made a CD about it. And that's where this solar, solar superhero came into be. And I started writing about this solar superhero, which was basically this arch type 
of individual who is going to fight against, you know, fossil fuels and things of that nature. And so eventually all that stuff came to pass, but it was stuff that I saw before it ever was really here in the scope and manner in which it is now. So that's why it's a solar dream. And, and so the book shows how basically I saw it a long time ago. And then I said I was going to be involved in it when it hit. It did hit and I'm involved in it. Okay, interesting. So I, I say this really quick that hydrogen energy, like the, or hydrogen fuel, is unknown for a large portion of the world. A large portion of the world. Like it's completely unknown to pe- a lot of people right now. So people who are listening to this, what's hydrogen energy? Where, where is it actually used? So just to clarify it, in US, no, not, I'm not, not sure in US, but in China and Japan, there are intense studies going on where people are trying to use hydrogen to run run cars. And I think this is the biggest threat to Tesla right now. Because that's the advantage that they're trying to use electricity, but hydrogen is the next big thing. So this is the biggest threat for them as well. But the issue right now is is that the cost is really high for using hydrogen as a fuel compared to electricity or other mediums. But soon, like in a few years, maybe within a 10-year mark, this this cost will go way below than what we we have right now, and we, we by we I mean Japan, care, and China, all in the other nation that's working on it. Yeah. Um, so, I saw the hydrogen concept back in the early '80s, but I and that's when I started talking about. It. I actually told a friend of mine who who was a, one of my business mentors, and I told him about hydrogen fueling cars back in, in 84. Now, of course, there's people who had been into it before that, but I didn't know who was into it. I just said this was something that was going to go down. So then in, in 2007, I met a guy here in the United States, but he, he, his family is from Indonesia. He was an older gentleman and he had created a energy called hydrogen on demand. So he could actually produce, or he claimed to be able to produce steam in four seconds. So there would be no need to store the hydrogen, which is the big you know, issue. And so he could use various different types of water. He didn't need a bunch of it because it was renewable. And he could create this hydrogen steam, steam from the hydrogen uh, turbine within a four seconds. So he called it hydrogen on demand. We actually got a contract offer from Southern California Edison for very, very large sums of money. And I'm the one who put that whole program together, not the hydrogen part of it. He did all that. He had a team of scientists working with me, but I put together what's called PURPA, which is in the United States is basically a government uh, 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 system that allows you to contract and get certification through the federal level, not necessarily the state level. At the state level, there was only quote unquote fuel sales. And so this particular energy, fuel sales, right? So we went through this purple agreement. I put that together and then did the negotiations for Southern California Edison. Uh, the scientists did pass away, died. We weren't able to bring it to fruition. Um, I still have a lot of the plans, but one thing he never gave me, and I don't know that he gave anybody else, but, but he called the secret sauce. But to you know, piggyback on what you said, um, I had guys in the Middle East endeavoring to invest in it. That became the big issue back in 2007 because solar was just about to hit really after the 2005 Clean Air Act. And their thing was, the scalability of it is too costly to be able to mobilize like we can do solar. Solar is an easier concept today 
although everyone had their eyes on hydrogen, like you're saying, for the future. So, yeah, I was I was knee deep, thick inside the whole hydrogen space. But this was way after I had said, hey, hydrogen was going to be the play. And amazingly, I met the guy not I was dealing with the solar hero and uh, solar character with some folks. And this guy introduced me to a guy who had this hydrogen concept kind of out of nowhere. You know what? I I learned about the hydrogen thing just two, two or three years ago, like max three years ago. And I don't know how the hell actually you even knew about it in 1980 or 80s or 90s. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah, well, I was using, I was borrowing a friend's car and I didn't have, I didn't have hardly any money <laughs> and the car didn't have any gas. <laughs> so, so I'm looking at the gas prices and I'm looking at how much money I had and I'm like, man, there's another way. This whole thing is 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 trick, man. Is it's a setup. So I I said, I bet you cars can run on water. And I started telling my friends, I bet you cars can run on water. They're like, man, you you crazy. Like I'm telling you, cars can run on water. Cars can run on electricity. We do not have to use all this gas. Now, whether or not it was a big gas conspiracy or not, I, I'm not going. <laughs> And, you know, maybe everybody wasn't hip to the technology that we're hip to the day, you know, but when I met my, you know, my buddy who was, you know, 70 something years old and he's this scientist and he's got these scientists with me and we're talking about this hydrogen on a man and he starts showing me documentation of how long he's had it. I'm going, okay, he when I was coming up with it. This dude was already saying he had a method. <laughs> I just didn't know him. So that's all I'm going to say about it. <laughs> yeah, that's actually really, really interesting. And a topic that will be really, like, as you said, like, uh, solar hit in 2007. Hydrogen is going to hit in a few years in the market. Like, and it's going to hit big pretty, pretty soon. I'm not sure in how many years. I don't have an exact guess about it because I'm not yet that much longer on the sector. Anyway, so now I'm going to go back to this. Is this a, tell me more about your book. Like, is, is it about you? And like, tell me more about the character and how that came into being. I want, I want, I want to know about the process and all. <laughs> so the book... It's, it's about me, but it's not just about me. It's about me as the central character on what made this superhero character. That's why it's called the making of Atoma Merck. But it's basically talking about humanity and where all humanity is. And so the whole, the hope is that anybody can read it and gain from it by seeing a little bit of them in the story, whether they fit in the story from one point or another point, one side or another side, but that they see themselves in the story. When I talked to a, another guy, he was um, actually working at another solar company. He was a director at this other solar company. And I started talking to him about it. And I just gave him a little bit of the information. He told me, hey, Rodney, that's all of us. And I go, ah, okay, he gets it, he gets it, right? So um, that's kind of what the book really is all about. It's talking about history. It's talking about, it's, if, you, if, you, if you're someone who want, you want to overcome, if you're someone who's in a situation where you feel like, and this world is gigantic, it is so big. It's, it's so above my head. I'm just a guy or a girl somewhere. I don't know how I fit in. I don't know how I can navigate through this thing. I don't have the confidence to really plug in somewhere 
and help this wheel turn or whether I'm going to lead somewhere and get people to, to turn, right? Like, how do I benefit this, this world? How do I benefit life? Uh, everybody has to play some type of part to benefit life or you're going to be someone that's going to be destructive to life. Then this book is valuable for you to see that, that you can be one or the other. Right. You can be someone who's constructive or one who's destructive. Interesting. So the name, the whole name of the book is The Making of Atoma Mark, The Fighting the Ghost of White Supremacy. So I, I want to know like how did Atoma Mark name came in? And why, like, how are you finding the ghost of white supremacy? And what do you mean by the ghost of white supremacy? Great, great question. So, Atoma, my nickname is Merck, right? So, um, that name came about as a youngster playing sports because of the, the speed and all. And I played football specifically as a real young guy, American football. And there was this football player whose name was Mercury Morris. And he was my favorite player. He wore this number 22. I wore the number 22. And so my style of play was similar to his style of play because that's who I liked. And so I, I imitated a lot of what he did on the, on the field. So people started to call me Merck, which is short for Mercury. So that's where the nickname originated. But then once I started getting into science, once I started getting into energy, right, and, and things like that, then the name started to adopt and adapt into including like the planet Mercury and things like that, where I'm now talking about solar and history. So the name Merck started to evolve into a higher concept than just a football player. I basically went from a football player to a guy who started seeing the energy spectrum. And so the name continued to follow suit. Now, Atoma, I created that character because it comes from the concept of an atom. And so how an atom can split and how atom has cells and things of that nature. And so you took, I took the concept of an atom and then it's a Toma atom with an A, the A part, which is the AUC on the shirt here, right? That's the A in the character is a Toma and the A. Haplogroup A, from a DNA perspective, is where everybody originates from. Supposedly on planet Earth, and there's some arguments about whether there were some other type of folks on the Earth outside of this haplogroup A, but my character comes from haplogroup A. And so as a result, Atoma Merck is basically the beginning, right? The beginning of energy. And so now from there, because I'm a Christian, the beginning of energy for me is God said, let there be light. And there was light and light being solar is a concept that was made by God. So all of it fits together thematically on what it is that I created. There's no just something kind of haphazard. It all connects on a universal level. Okay, so what do you mean by finding a ghost of white supremacy? So, so the ghost, that's why it's called the ghost of white supremacy. So in my mind, right, throughout history, any supremacy comes from a negative source. If it's a supremacy that says other people cannot do it or accomplish it because of a skin color, regardless of the skin color. American history is based on white supremacy. That's how it was put into play. So as a African brought to America in the history of slavery, that's a 400 year cycle, 
blacks were seen as less than capable of, right? So the premise around black people was that white people were superior to black people. I believe that that notion and that concept doesn't make any sense because people are created from a source beyond this world, right? So therefore people have to be at the minimum universal at the maximum heavenly. Either of those concepts would be spiritual, not physical. So the real you cannot be based on a skin color because the real you cannot be based on the human body, right? So it has a result. It's just nonsense to me, right? It's make-believe. It's a myth. And so as a result, you might have different uh, tastes, different concepts that you like more than what somebody else like. But to say that's superior is just different. So therefore, the ghost of white supremacy is basically saying fighting against the myth that is not real. It's a ghost. Okay. Okay. So, so uh, although, like, uh, the one thing on, uh, came to my mind is why didn't you, you use the soul? Like, the term soul is used more in terms of spirituality. So why didn't you use the word soul and you use the word ghost instead? I use the word ghost instead because not even necessarily soul, because um, I'm not going to give away all the contents of the book. <laughs> okay. <but> <laughs> there, there are levels. There are levels. And I, and I do talk about uh, uh, the levels, right, as we're kind of discussing, but there is another level. So um, when you start seeing how I start basically uh, uh, focusing on this other level, well, you know, those are ghosts. And those, go those ghosts, uh, they hunt. <laughs> right? They hunt. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, true. I true. Now, so we are like we're ending in one way also. So, where can our listeners find you online or where can they actually buy the book or pre order the book? So, the book is available on Amazon.com, the book is available on Barnes and Noble. Someone can always go to my website and it's, that's slrd.net, which stands for Street Legend Rodney Dixon. So that's slrd, Street Legend Rodney Dixon.net. And um, uh, information is there. So more information about me is there, upcoming information that's coming up. But Uh, Amazon.com and Barnes and Noble is also where you can, right now the book is only available for pre-order, which there are a significant amount of people pre-ordering the book. It will be officially released on June 15th. So we will add the link of the book where they can actually draw the book also your website with the description of the podcast. So people can actually go there directly. And also people who are watching it on Facebook or YouTube, you can you see the link on the caption. So yeah, thanks for the list. Thanks, Tracy. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks a lot. Thank you, AM. Yeah. So and thanks for the listeners who listen. This was the end of today's episode. And I know that it's quite hard to take the steps that you need to take. But I hope that we were able to share some steps that you can take right away to motivate yourself to take a leap of faith and pursue what you want to be or like want to do. And if you have any question, then message me on Instagram at Abdullah M. Mahmoud. It is spelled as A-B-D-U-L-L-A-H-M-M-A-H-M-U-D. Again, the spelling is A-B-D-U-L-L-A-H-M-M-A-H-M-U-D. This is the this is my social media handle for all social medias linkedin instagram facebook twitter and tiktok as well i don't have any videos on tiktok anyway but you can find find me there you can follow me or send a message i'll love to talk, talk with you and finally 
you can also message me through anchor the voice message option of anchor and lastly if you want to grow with me and learn actionable steps twice a week or want to make this podcast be the number one podcast for visionaries then make sure to hit the subscribe button and if you are on apple Podcasts, then make sure to leave a review it really helps to bring on amazing guests just like today and yeah that's for today and next time keep being your best self bye